Please be seated. Once again, this morning's message, as you can see from the back of your bulletin, and it's uh, marked as part two. We are in a mini-series on prayer for those who are with us visiting this morning. Uh, normally, I expound a particular book and exegete that passage to you, and we will be getting back to that very soon. But we have taken a, a moment since we just finished the book of 2 Corinthians and are in this mini-series on prayer. And in looking at it, the intent, again, so that we all remember, and those of you who are visiting with us might be aware of the intent, it is to impress upon us the importance of our prayer life individually, the importance of our corporate prayer life as a local assembly, and that we might, before God, be known as a place of prayer, and our lives might be known as lives which are concentrating on prayer. So we're taking prayer from a different perspective in this mini-series. There are three sections to it. The priority of prayer, prayer in the house of God, which is the section we are on now, and we could not possibly conclude that last week. And we have one left, and Lord willing, that will be next week, and that is prayer and the pleasure of God. So we've taken a different approach as far as the standard type of approach to prayer and tried to look at it. If it's really got to be important in our lives, to look at it from these different angles. Last week, we began to concentrate on the house of God. And as we talked about that, just to follow along with your outline, we began only to deal with the concept of the house of God. And I think it's important for us to remember the things that we have learned uh, as we finish this area, Lord willing, today. So priority, it should be a priority in all of our lives because it's a priority with God. We saw it was. In the local assembly, we saw it was in the apostles' lives and the leadership's lives. What about this concept of the house of God? Well, last week, by way of general information, we learned that there is no house at all that can contain God. There is no house in heaven. There is no house on earth. There is no building. There is no structure. If God is God, it is absolutely impossible to confine him to one area. If that were true, then he's not God very simply put. But we have learned that God, in giving us the word of God, in explaining to us in his revelation the things that he expects from us and who he is, has used terms to express himself and as far as his abode, as far as where he is. He has expressed it as referring to his abode being, first of all, in heaven. And we have spent time on that. But also... He has referred to his house, just as he does in the text that I read. He says, my house, and he says, my holy mountain. God has chosen and has revealed to us that his abode, if you will, is in heaven, but he's also identified his house as a house of prayer, meaning what? We learned last week that God identifies himself. It's not that it's the only place he's contained to. But he identifies himself with a location in which his name is to be known there, in which his name not only is to be known there, but he identifies with the people of God as they meet in that place. And we saw in the Old Testament there were three particular areas. And the three areas were the, I'll put the first one together, the tent and the tabernacle. With Moses, as he led them out of the wilderness, God had chosen to identify with the people of Israel as they were coming forth, and he identified with that simple little tent in the wilderness, that that was the place that he would meet with them. And then later on, that became the tabernacle, as Solomon, by God's grace, was guided and directed and instructed to build the temple. And that, again, did not contained God per se, but that was where he identified with his people and they would go with him to worship and to pray, etc. And also Jerusalem is identified because that's the place where the temple of God was located. As we move to the New Testament, and this is kind of where we wrapped things up last week, and I went through it rather quickly, so I'm going to review some of it and then expand on a little bit to lay the foundation for finishing it off today. What about the New Testament? We know that there was a tent in the Old Testament. There was a, a temple in the Old Testament. 
Well, we have learned that first of all, even with that understanding, we identified the fact that Jesus Christ himself, and people don't often think of it this way, but he is God. He was with God. He was with God in heaven. He was enjoying the glory of God and the presence as there are three in one. But at a point in time, God in his sovereign plan, because we are all sinners, because we are all people that have come short of the glory of God, because whether I know you or you know me, we realize that every human being is in need of spiritual life because we are sinners and we cannot save ourselves. There is nothing, no church, no organization, no lineage, no intellectual uh, path that we can follow which will get us to heaven. The only thing that could restore a relationship with God himself was for God to initiate it and to do it. So he came to earth and John 1.14, the word was made flesh and dwelt. That is, he tabernacled. He put his abode among us. God chose to identify with the world in the sense of now in the presence of Jesus Christ, coming to earth and identifying with men and tabernacling with them, giving his presence and abode. And that is why we find in our common account at Christmas time, the expression of this is God with us, quoting from Matthew. It is God's abode in the person of Christ, fully God and yet taking on flesh, and that flesh, if you will, tabernacled among men. And so we see that identification continuing into the New Testament in God's identifying, and this through the person of Christ, the only Savior of the world, as mentioned by Chris this morning. But what about the place of God identifying? We saw last week that first of all, as we move beyond Christ, the individual believer, his body, has now become the temple of the Holy Spirit. When a person has come to faith in Jesus Christ, and that is the only means of salvation, it is by faith through grace, or by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Salvation cannot be earned. It cannot be obtained by our efforts. It can only graciously be given by God, and that is through the mechanism as he has chosen. The means of that is by faith or belief in the person and work of Jesus Christ who satisfied the righteousness of God. And when a person comes to that place where God has drawn them to himself and they have believed, that person's body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. God put it this way as we saw last week. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. And you have been bought with a price. You are not your own. So we are not our own. We've been bought with a price, that is, by the purchase through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are not our own. We belong to him. And our body becomes the temple. It becomes the abode. It becomes the identification. And according to Ephesians, the Holy Spirit is given as the down payment, the deposit that we belong to God, the seal, the identification mark that we are his. So the body of the believer becomes that. We also see that in two other passages that I'll refer to and won't turn you to. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in verses 16 and 17, you can mark them down. It says, we are, that is believers, that's 2 Corinthians 6, we had already studied, 16 and 17. We are, in those verses, the temple of the living God. We are. Believers are the temple of the living God. And also, the second reference I'll give you is 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. Many of you will be familiar with that. He says, you, referring to believers, are being built up a spiritual house. So we are being built up as a spiritual house, and we are living stones. So we see in the New Testament, the body of believers is now the place of identification. The body of believers in the organism known as the church which is the body of Christ, that is where God takes up his abode. And so we know that 
and we know that we can pray, and we can pray as individuals. We belong to him. But as we closed and wound down last week, and it was important to mention it to you before we left, we also saw that in addition, and this is where we kind of dropped the ball today, in addition, the local assembly, the churches we refer to it, the ecclesia, not only universally, but locally, where believers come to meet, is also identified in scripture as his house, as his dwelling place. And you say, where? Well, I gave you 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 last week, where I told you it's a you plural. You, meaning the Corinthian saints, in the context, are the temple of God. And because of all that was going on in Corinth, he said to them, if anybody destroys the temple of God, meaning the place, and all the divisions that were going on and so forth, God will destroy him because in his eyes it's precious. And we ended with 1 Timothy. Let's just go there again. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And this now we get right back to where we were. Chapter 3, verse 5. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5. Again, referring to the structure on earth. And you go back to uh, he must know how to manage his own household, referring to, again, the uh, trustworthy servant there, the overseer, the elder. And then we come down to verse 5. But if any man know how, not know how to manage his own household, we understand that, his own home, how will he be able to take care of the church of God? And what is the context? And you can say, well, universal church. No, no. He's dealing with the fact that you have elders, then he's going to go into deacons, and the whole instruction in Timothy is people might know how to behave themselves in the local assembly, that which Timothy is instructed, instructed to set up with leaders, with certain types of things where men pray. We'll see that in a few moments. But it's the managing of God's household because it's important in his eyes. So God identifies, what I'm trying to say to you is this, the individual in the local church, I'll come to that conclusion in a moment again. But I want you to see some other verses and just to get it in your mind of how important the local assembly, for example, Fellowship Bible Church. Just Fellowship Bible Church? No. Any local assembly, any gathering, that's what it means, gathering of God's people locally to worship and pray, etc., as we'll talk about, it's important in his eyes and is what was established for conducting God's business on earth. And this is important because, again, I've already said it, but we as individuals want to just go out and have our own lives, and I can be praying to God on my own. I can be out exercising my gifts on my own. I can be home watching TV, getting input from TV evangelists and so forth. And a lot of people take that approach and lose the concept of what is precious to God. And that is not only the believer's individual life, but the local assembly. So at rapid fire, and I only sampled from a couple of areas. Go with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. Go to, with me to chapter 14. Chapter 14, and I want you to see again that place of identification, that house, if you will, the church, which we already said is an organism, also has identification with the locality. In chapter 14, verses 21 to 23, and after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, watch, verse 22, different specific locations, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they, watch this, had appointed elders for them in every church, in every local assembly. It's talking about a local assembly. They commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Is the individual believer the temple of the Holy Spirit? Yes. But even as they went around establishing, as they went around strengthening souls, what did they set as an order of priority? 
to ordain elders in every location, in every church, not universally, but if you will, locally. Go with me to chapter 15, verse 41. Same book. Tried to make it easy this morning. Chapter 15, verse 41. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia. What was he doing? Strengthening what? The churches. Where? In Syria. In where? Cilicia. Yesterday I was at a meeting and they talked about a church in Morocco. Okay, and we are here in a church in Methuen. And what was the point? There was a place of identification. And don't miss it. That's what, in the early church, they established. They preached the gospel and people got saved universally. But they emphasized also that they need to be strengthened because we cannot be in Morocco today. We cannot be also in Russia today. We can't be in Africa right now all at once. We can't be. And God has established his church in a local place for them to meet. Go with me to chapter 16 of the same book, verse 5. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and what? Increasing in number daily. What were? The local churches. That's what he's referring to. The churches, plural. He's not talking about the universal church. So as the Macedonian vision came up in chapter 16... It was established. Go with me to chapter 20 of the book of Acts. And these are not the only ones in the book of Acts either, by the way. In chapter 20, notice verse 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, two different places, and he called to him what? The elders of the church. That's a location. Go down to verse 28. Watch what he says. Be on God for yourselves. And for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. What were they to do? Shepherd what? The church of God. He wasn't talking to those at Ephesus about shepherding the church at Colossae. No. He was talking to those at Ephesus about shepherding, which he refers to as the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. A couple of more verses. Just go with me to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I want you to see it's not just in the book of Acts. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 17. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere. And you notice he's talking to the local church in every church, in every church. Go with me to chapter 11 of the same book. You know this one well. Verse 17. I'll go back to 16. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches, plural, of God. Being, excuse me, but in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better but for the worse. And what were they doing? There was divisions among them. I'll talk about that in a couple of moments. And what were they doing? Meeting for the Lord's Supper. And notice verse 22. Do you despise what? The church of God? He's referring to the church of Corinth. I won't turn to the other verses. I have another passage. Think of this for those of you that are with us on Sunday nights. The book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3, the message to the churches. My point is this. God has chosen to identify with a house. What house? Your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. And also with a local church, a meeting place. So the conclusion is that, that in the New Testament, uh, individual believers are identified as the house of God, the temple of God, and that is the body. But also the local church. The local assembly, the meeting place, is referred, and we also saw that before in Ephesians, as the household of God, as the house or the temple of God. And that leads us to our second area of the study in this area, as we have on your bulletin, the back of your outline, the house of prayer or a robber's den. Turn with me to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. 
So hopefully you've at least got this connection. It was the tent, it was the tabernacle, it was Jerusalem in the Old Testament. It was Christ being among us. And it is the temple of the Holy Spirit as far as the body of the believer, but also the local church. Now this is referring to the temple, but I want you to see something here. As we move on to this next point, in chapter 21 of Matthew, the Lord with his triumphant entry, we saw this last week just in our responsive reading, came in in his triumphant entry, and he come down to verse 12. Jesus entered the temple, and he cast out all those. Now, what was the temple? It was the place where the people of God met. Old Testament, uh, if you will, economy right now? Yes. And he cast out all those who were buying and selling where? In the temple. And notice what he said. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves, and he said this. It is written, my house. That came from Isaiah, my reading this morning. My house shall be called what? A house of prayer. But you are making it a robber's den. This was the second time that this happened. In John chapter 2, you can turn to that on your own, was the first time that he came in and he did the same thing. He turned over the tables. Why? Because he came to the place where God's people were meeting. And what he said, this is supposed to be a place of prayer. That in and of itself ought to be enough this morning. If the place that God's people are meeting is supposed to be identified as a people a place of prayer, and you say, again, Pastor Dan, this is Old Testament context, yes. Hold on. But we feel, we find out that the body of the Holy Spirit and then the meeting place for New Testament saints is local. What do you think that should be identified with? Prayer. Guaranteed. We'll see it in a moment. God's point in this context is you have taken God's name, which is supposed to be known for a place of what? Prayer which is supposed to be known for what else? A place of worship. That's where they brought their sacrifices. That's where they worshiped God. And it had become what? A place of business. It had become what? A place of anything but prayer. It had even become, if you were to compare Matthew's text, and I'm not doing it for time's sake, but especially to the mock text that relates the same thing, that's the terminology that's used in Mark's test. You have now turned my house into a house of business. Now, it'll be very quick for you to sit there and say, yeah, we've got to be careful. You know what? It can become a house of programs. It can become a house of everything else but what it's supposed to be. And hold on to that one. It was supposed to be a place where God was identified with and people came to worship. People came to pray. What is their application here to the church? Let me give you a bunch of verses quickly. It should be known as what? The local assembly today, let's jump right from the temple to the local assembly. Remember last week, 1 Timothy 3.15? It's to be the temple of God is to be the pillar and the ground of what? The truth. The church of God, where we go to meet, is supposed to be known as the pillar and the ground of truth. It is supposed to be, secondly, the place where people, that is believers, specifically not unbelievers, we got that all backwards, where believers come together to grow. Why? In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, mark it down, I give it to you. And he gave some apostles and prophets and uh, evangelists and pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, the purpose of the church, the purpose of the gifts to the church in the context of Ephesians is for the perfecting of the saints. That's why we meet. Why? For the work of the ministry so that believers might be instructed in the truth so they might know how to stand for the faith so they might know how to exercise their gifts and to function as mature believers. 
It is the place where the gospel is to be preached. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. The local church today, the place that we are meeting in right now, is to be identified as a place where the truth is stood for, where believers are to grow. The place where the gospel is preached. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5. And by the way, let me go back to a little bit more on instruction. Before I get to verse 5, let's go back a little earlier in the chapter. Verse 1. And I solemnly charge you in the presence of God, he says to Timothy, who is judging the, the judge of the living and the dead. Verse 2, what did he tell him to do? Preach the word. What is the church supposed to be known for? What is a local assembly supposed to be known for? The preaching of the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering, etc. Come down to verse 5. But you, be sober in all things, enduring hardships, do the work of an evangelist. What does an evangelist do? He proclaims the gospel. And he was told to proclaim the gospel, fulfill your ministry. So the local church is to teach the word of God, yes, and that includes the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is to be a place that is holy. How do you know that? That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 3 said. Whose temple you are, and it's holy. Go back there and look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I emphasized the plurality of the word last week, but I want you to see what it says in verse 16 and 17. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know that you, that is collectively Corinthian saints, there's the local assembly, you are a temple of God. That's what God has chosen to identify with. And the Spirit of God dwells in you. Yes, it does. Individually, yes, and collectively in the believers. Verse 17, if any man destroys the temple of God, I referred to that, God will destroy him. Why? Watch the rest of it. For the temple of God is what? Holy. And that is what you are. Corinthians, that's why he addressed chapter 1, 2, and 3 so strongly. You Corinthians, that is supposed to be a place of holiness. It is supposed to be a place, the local church, of prayer and praise. Where do you get that from, Pastor Dan? Let me give you a couple of quick verses. Go with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And then we're going to get stronger. What do you mean by that? Hold on. Hold on to your seatbelts. Or the bench. Chapter 1, verse 24. What happened? By the way, what is the context of chapter 1? The Lord's ascended, verses 9 through 11. They're in the upper room. They're gathered together. This is the first local church, the first local assembly. What have you got? Acts chapter 1, verse 24. And they what? Prayed. First decision that came to them. Who is going to replace Judas Iscariot? What did they do? They were meeting and they were doing what? Praying. Go with me to chapter 2. Just two more verses here. Chapter 2, verses 45 and 40, 44 and 45. And all those who believed were together, had things in common. They were selling their property and possessions and they were sharing. And what were they doing? They were continuing with one mind. Now, back then it was in the temple because that's how they started out, even as believers breaking bread from house to house. They were taking meals together with sincerity, and they were praising God. They were together. They were sharing things, and they were praising God. What are we saying? The local church, the local assembly, Fellowship Bible Church, to bring it right home to us, as God identifies the local assembly in the scriptures, is to be known for what? The pillar and ground of the truth. What else is to be known for? The place where believers come and are taught the word of God to grow. What else should it be known as? A place where the gospel is preached. What else should it be known as? A place that it's holy. You say that the, the building, the place where we meet, yes. 
It's to be known as the place where God's people gather together and is a sense of holiness. It is to be known as a place of what? A place where prayer is prominent. The place where we gather is to be known as what? A place where God is praised. A place of what? A place where believers gather together and share with one another and care for one another. That's what the local assembly is supposed to be known as. So when God's referring to the temple and he says, you have made my place, which was a place to be known as a place of prayer, and you've made it a, ten, a place that's a place of thievery, a place of business. What application have we got? If you want to see the reality of how important prayer is, think about the local assembly. What do you mean? Now you can hold on to your seatbelts. Why? Because I want to be mean? No. When you think of local churches, when you think of Fellowship Bible Church, when you think of other churches, what happens most of the time when we think? I hope that you're going to think of this as a place where the Word of God is taught. I hope you're going to think of it as a place where you can go to be taught the truth, whether you like it or you don't like it. And we know as believers, it's the same thing with the Word of God. You can't tell me sitting there as a believer, every time you go here, you get verses that are always so encouraging to you because you're only reading half the Bible if you're not looking at verses that talk about your sin. And if you don't look at verses that say that God chastens his own children, you're going to find out that in the Word of God. And as an individual, you're going to get uncomfortable. So we're not talking about that. I'll give you some summations. Many churches today are known as entertainment centers. That is where I go to get entertained. Might that never be the case here? Whether you like us or you don't, I, before God, never ever want to hear this church to be known as an entertainment center. What do you mean? Let me give you some statements. You gotta come to our church because you gotta hear our band. You gotta come to our church. You won't believe the technology. The lights will blow your mind. I hope that's never said of this church. I hope the lights blow out before they blow anybody's mind. A church is not to be known as an art center. If you want to get involved in the arts, go to the Boston Pops. Pastor Dan just promoted the Boston Pops over the pulpit. Look, if that isn't the point, you missed everything if that's all you hear on this message. That's what that's for. Go to Andover Center where they have that entertainment. Go someplace else. The church is not to be known as an art center. There are many that say, come to the church. You won't believe the plays that we put on. The drama is fantastic. That is not what the local church is for. And if that's what you're looking for in a local church, you're not looking for what God's looking for. I'll tell you right now. It is known as a place of merchandise. What are you talking about? Churches with their bake sales, with their rummage sales, with everything else that they're selling at the church. Is that what we're to be known as? Not at all. Daycare centers. We were asked that. I personally was asked that years ago. They came here and spoke to me. And they said, would you be interested in having a daycare center at the church? Absolutely not. That's not what we're here for. We are here to care. We are here to care for children. And we are here to care for adults. But we're not here to perform a babysitting service. We're here to preach the word of God. We're here to pray. Churches are known for community centers. And I, you think I'm out in left field, you check it out, folks. I believe I know the 21st century that I'm living in. We're not to be known for those things. And if you want to shop around for a church on that basis, you're in trouble. Now let me really get deep. What are you talking about? Churches sometimes today, local assemblies, rather than be known as a place of praise, hold on, 
rather than be known as a place of prayer, rather than be known as a place of worship, they're known as a place of hypocrites. That's why people don't want to come. Ask some people. There are a bunch of hypocrites there. Now, that will be said all the time, usually by hypocrites. That's the truth. Because if they don't like something that's gone on, if you think Pastor Dan is flawless, if you think your elders are flawless, if you think the person next to you is flawless, you better go join the hypocrites because you're going to find out none of them are. That's not what we're talking about. But there are local assemblies that they're nothing more than as a whole a bunch of hypocrites not trying to live for the Lord at all. Hold on to your seatbelts. There are churches that are known and, hold on, within churches are known as gossips. All they do at that church is gossip. There are churches that are known not because they stand for the word of God, but they're known for the gossip circles that are going on. The Corinthian church, this is the truth. The Corinthian church was known as a church that was full of sin. It was known as a church full of divisions. Many local assemblies, that's how they're known. That's the church you go to if you want to fight about everything. That's the church you go to that absolutely rips you down. That's the church you go to that's got the circle on the phone that cuts down everybody. And there are churches that are known that way. And sometimes circles that are known that way. And in case you don't think that, here's a test. Again, what happens when Fellowship Bible Church comes into your mind? Never mind when it comes into my mind. When it comes into God's mind. It should be known as the church that's trying to stand for the word of God, that teaches the word of God, that's a church that prays. What about what people think of you? You know, I know it's true. Let me start with me. I know when people think of me, including you sitting in that audience, there's some things that come to your mind, but it's also true of you. And there are some people, when their names come to mind, immediately what comes to my mind is gossip. Immediately what comes to my mind is faithfulness. Immediately what comes to my mind is a person of prayer. Immediately what comes to my mind is a person that tears all the time. And you know what? That's not just me. That's right in here. That's what comes to people's mind. What comes to their mind when they think of you? What comes to their mind when they think of us? What I'm trying to say to you, you see how important the local church is? The local assembly? We should be known as a people of the word, and we should be known that this is a location of which I come to study the word of God, and this is a location to which I can come and pray. Let me give you some examples. I don't have the time for this, but I'll give it to you. You'll know it. First Samuel chapter 1, because it's a lengthy passage. That's Hannah. Old Testament again, Pastor Dan. Yes. But she came to the place, as you know, she didn't have any children, and she was found in the place where people met for worship, praying, and it was interesting because even the leader did not recognize what she was doing. He thought she was drunk, but she was praying because she came to the place of prayer. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Really? Quickly. Acts chapter 3. Let's go there. You should be there. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Again, is it true that the temple was here? Yes. But it's a New Testament believer. Don't miss it. Verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour. Why? The hour of prayer. With Israel, there were three times in the day in which they prayed. Is this application to Israel? Yes. Is it also application to the transitioning church? You bet it is. It is. Because they, as New Testament believers, knew that there was a place and a time to pray. And certain men who had been there, and you know it, you just read it in your responsive reading. Now go with me to Acts chapter 16. It's a little later in the book of Acts. Why? Because Paul's on the picture. It's just so you see a sample. 
Acts chapter 16, verse 16, quickly. This is Paul and Silas. What happened? And it happened, verse 16, as they were going to, what does it say? The place of prayer. A certain slave girl having a spirit of divination methods. Don't get caught up in that for a second. I want you to see the point of emphasis for our study here. They were going to the place of prayer. This is Paul and Silas. There was a place set aside, designated, if you will, for prayer. Listen to me. The Jews have their temples. The Muslims, isn't it true? They have a mosque. Well, don't they? Yeah, they do. The Roman Catholic Church, they have a building. What about New Testament saints? They're the building of God, right? Yes. Do they have a place? Yes, they do. Where is it? The local church. That's why you have so much of it in the New Testament. That's why you have Ephesus, Colossians, and so forth. And it should be a place that they go to prayer. It should be a place that they come and worship. And that's why we're here today, to worship, to pray. And it should be an emphasis, even in today's New Testament church, you mean the body of Christ coming together to pray? Yes, that's the third, row, the third part of your outline. Let's go to it right away. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I'll give it to you in rapid fire. Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to look for a moment at verse 25. Not forsaking our, our own assembling together as the habit of some is. Now, how many times, isn't it true that you've heard this maybe from a pastor or elder who's trying to help you? And they say, look, we don't see you coming out to church. You ought to be coming out to church. And you usually get someone who does know the word of God, but I think they know it less than they think they do. And they'll say, yeah, but the New Testament believer, we are the church of God, true. And... You know, I'm tired of churches because they're all a bunch of hypocrites and, and no church is perfect, true. And then they turn around and say, so I don't need to go to a local church anyway. False. And you say, you know, you've been forsaking your assembly and that was a warning you got in Hebrews. But did you ever look at the rest of the context? We often use it that way. Look at the context. Go back to verse 19. Since therefore, brethren, we have this confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, in his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, now watch, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Yes, verse 23. And let us hold fast the confession of our, uh, of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another in love and in good deeds. Where is that? That's all in a local church. What's it talking about drawing near? What's it talking about this idea of with a sincere heart and of a clear conscience? It's talking about us coming to God in the context of prayer. In the context of letting us hold fast and letting us stick together. Yes, stimulating one another by being together. And then he talks about being drawing near. The whole concept is drawing near to God and coming to him in a clear conscience and inaugurating because of what Christ has done. We have the ability to have conference to enter into, verse 9, the holy place. That is the very presence of God. And so we're not. We have the ability to enter into the holy place of God, the very presence of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are to collectively, the writer of Hebrews says, 23, 24, and 25, let us collectively confess together, stimulate together, and not forsake assembling together, but draw near to him. Go with me quickly to a couple of verses in Acts. Acts chapter 2. We'll wind it down. Acts chapter 2. I'll move fast. In Acts 2, verse 42. And they were continually, that is, New Testament believers, early church, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and what's the last one? Prayer. 
chapter 4, verse 24. And when they heard this, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord and said, what are they doing? They are praying. O Lord, it is thou who didst make the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who did that? They did it. They lifted up their voices collectively. Peter was just released in this particular situation. Uh, 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 the threat, I'm sorry, that came to them. Now, Peter, go to chapter 12 of Acts. Chapter 12. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently. By who? The church of God. Every place? No, go to verse 12. And when they realized this, they went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called by Mark, and they were gathered together and were praying. What do you find in the early church? From house to house. You see, Pastor Dan, we can go to our house and pray. Yes, you can. I can go in the car and pray. Yes, you can. But also, they were collectively meeting to pray. And you know the context. They were absolutely amazed that Peter got released. I don't know why. They were praying for him. And God acted. In chapter 13, since it's nearby, go to verse 3. Here they are ready to commission someone. Who is it? Paul and Barnabas, verse 3. And when they fasted and did what? Prayed. They laid their hands on them. Who did that? The leadership. What were they doing? They were together. If you look at verses 1 and 2, and for time I'm just saving it. Uh, I'm getting right to the issue. They met and they prayed. In 1 Timothy, I won't turn there, verse 8. Chapter 2, verse 8, it says that God wants in the church always, listen to this, men to be lifting up. And it is the term man, meaning male, to lift up their hands and be praying. Where? In the church. All too often, it's women that are praying. Is there anything wrong with women praying? Absolutely not. But men, you want to be a real man? Sometimes things it, people think it comes by lifting weights. Being a real man is a man that walks with God. It's a man that's not afraid of the world. It's a man that reads the word of God. It's a man that leads in prayer, that's ready to take that lead. I could give you all kinds of examples. The Lord Jesus Christ prayed publicly for his enemies on the cross. He prayed publicly when he rose Lazarus from the, from the dead. He prayed for the apostles. He prayed for the believers publicly. What are we saying? Not just privately, but when he was together with others. If the Lord saw it as important, if the apostles saw it as important, if the disciples and even Paul later on saw it as important, we should see it as something important. What? Coming together to pray as a body. Coming to a place to meet to pray. That gets into all kinds of difficulties. Why? Well, because of some of the practical struggles. We have a church, but we have a school. And so there's going to be things conducted and so forth. Yes, I understand that. And what about the idea of coming together? Praise God. Do you know that we have some groups that come to get this building to pray? Alison Moramisu has led a group that can come out early in the morning during the week and they come right here in this building and they meet and they pray with a long list for the school and the church and graduates and many ministries. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting. Are there practical difficulties? Sure, sure there are. Some people work and they can't get here. There are some who have physical problems. That's understandable. But there are many who could be here that just don't want to be here. Why? They don't see the priority of prayer. They also don't see what else. They don't like the format. Well, you know what? Our format has weaknesses. We meet in small prayer groups. Let's be honest. Sometimes you go to prayer and you don't know who's going to pray next and you, you feel a little uncomfortable and, and you don't know and sometimes two people start praying at the same time. That's a human factor. Other people are hearing you pray, yeah, and you're not sure whether you're using the right words. Who are you praying to, them or God? Get over those things. To put it very bluntly, get over it. There's times that there's meetings and you can't be here. There's times that I haven't been here. That's understandable. Of course, no, I know it's not for me, but, you know, that's your thinking. But, no, it happens, and people get sick. I'm not, we're not saying that. 
Can prayer times become a time of gossip? Sure it can. Because rather than sincerely praying the way we are, it becomes a, did you know the latest thing going on? And that's wrong. It needs to be corrected when it happens. But you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, folks. Just trying to be practical. There are kinds of activities that are going on. You know, but what would be wrong? Let me put out a challenge right here. I don't know what's going to happen with this one. What would be wrong with some of you men who are working early in the morning saying, hey, you know, we got to be to work at 8 o'clock. How about if we go down to the church building, you know, we'll come into this room and we're going to pray for 15 minutes before we go off to work because we're in the same geographical area. I think that would be wonderful. I praise the Lord if I heard that, that done. Now, can you do that locally? Yeah, sure you can. But what my point is, I think we ought to be known as a people who pray. I know on Friday nights there's a meeting, there's meetings that go on with people from our church. By the way, Gary, who can't be here, and I just spoke to him recently and so forth because of the struggles that's going on with his mom and dad and so forth. Did you know he meets every Friday night with some group of people from this church and they meet together and pray for this church and all that's going on? Praise God for that. We should be known as a people who pray but we should also be ready to come here to pray. The Muslims know where to go. The Roman Catholics know where to go. And I said that, that last week. It's not that we should adore this building, never. But when we come here to meet, and when we think of it, it should be a place that's the pillar and ground of the truth. The gospel's gonna be preached, the word's gonna be stood for, and that's where we can and remember, I haven't even covered it purposely, but the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And God delights when we gather for prayer, and he wants us to. I think we need to see that it's to be a priority in our life. I think we need to see that the house of God is not to be known as an entertainment center, not to be known as a drama or place of the arts, not that there isn't a place for technology and all of that, it's not what I'm saying, but it should be known also, folks, as a house of prayer. Let's pray. Our Father in God, if we heard nothing else this morning, we certainly have, should have seen the example of Jesus Christ and how appalled he was that the center place of worship had been trashed. It had been turned so that even the world knew what it was like. And you had to come in and turn over the tables and remind them that it was supposed to be a place not only of sacrifice and worship, but a place of prayer. Might we make that our homes? What, might we make that our personal lives? But might it also be an identification mark of Fellowship Bible Church? Might we, not just on Wednesday nights, but be thinking of this place as a place that we can come and be quiet, to be alone and pray, to pray with other believers, with real needs that we have as a church, as a country, as a people. And Father, might it go up as sweet incense, as we'll see tonight in Revelation, as the prayers of the saints go up before you. And might you just delight in it. We pray these things in Jesus' name.